Welcome to number 214 of the Opelog Podcast. I am your host, Simon Head. Today's podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp.com. Get affordable, private, online counseling anytime, anywhere. You can start your seven-day trial with the code word Apolog by going to BetterHelp.com slash Apolog. I'd like to thank everybody for helping me out and shopping on Amazon. It's been very helpful, very good Christmas season, by the way. You too can support the show by going to appalock.ca slash Amazon or appalock.ca slash US Amazon. You can do it the old-fashioned way by going to appalock.ca, click on those banners located on the right side, locate your country, and uh, whether you're from the Canadians, the USAs, or the UKs, and uh, bookmark those links, and every time you shop on Amazon, use those links to shop and support the show. It costs you no extra money. I'd like to thank all my patrons, all my patron friends. You too can become a patron by going to patreon.com slash applog. Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Applog is A-P-O-L-O-G-U-E. You can pledge as much or as little as you want on a monthly basis to help with my hosting and gas fees, and you can cancel at any time. Go buy a t-shirt by going to applog.cs slash shop. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes. Give it five stars, please. Like the show on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash Pod. Follow me on Twitter at SimonHead666. Today on the show, I have Mr. Michael Hall. Mr. Michael Hall is a professional guitar player. He's played in bands from the 80s, like a band called The Killer Dwarves. He's also a professional guitar player, session guitar player. He's put out a record or two. I actually always wanted him to be on the show because I knew he'd be an interesting guy to talk to. And so here he was back for Christmas, for the holiday. So I hit him up, went down to Pickering Village, set up my little portable studio, and had a good conversation with Mr. Michael Hall on the Alpha Podcast. trying to figure out i think it was 20 years the last time we actually yeah saw each other's faces been a while buddy it's been a while we're a little older so i know we are and uh i know that was it was that live record we did um that was 97 97? fuck yeah oh my god i know i was just sort of getting into that then yeah 97 i did some live recording in the basement of what was that bar called we were at a dump in South Oshawa called the Down Omer. The Down Omer, right? That's right. And, and you were classic. You came in and you had microphones in the in the pot plants. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not pot marijuana, yeah, yeah, yeah. but potted but plants. Potted plants, fake plants, all place. Yeah, there was stuff all over the place. But it was a really good sounding room. I so remember the thing. It didn't about, matter. You're like, are we ready? And I just got on the chair and I hit the. the, <laughs> hit the I'm ready. <laughs> Girl of recording at its finest. That's right. Yeah. Um, I've got one last copy of that and the original tapes. Oh, so you actually, you put it out. I made, uh, geez, I can't remember. Did I make 500 copies? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, you know, I sold some and I distributed some amongst friends and stuff. So it's a little collector's item for, for anybody that would uh, want to hear. Yeah. Four guys just giving her in a small bar on a Wednesday night. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you got a copy, I'd love to take a... I've got one cassette copy left. Oh, man. I'm so, out of them. <laughs> but what I do have is I have the original tapes. Oh, so the eight-out tapes. Yes. 
Just got rid of my ADATs. Somebody's got one somewhere. And somebody's though. got one. So, yeah, yeah. I do remember that. It showed up and it was like, just just set everything up and ran. There was no need for a split snake because it didn't really matter. There was no, no monitors. Just everything was just done, done, done. Wing it. And we did it and hit record. And it was one of those magical moments because you had such a kick-ass band. Yeah, they that were. They, there was nothing. You couldn't screw it up. Like, well, you know, we had, we had never been in any other room together except that club. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's one of those bands. Yeah, yeah. Like it started out with me and then I brought in one guy. And then the other guy said, I'll play for free. And the middle guy got mad. We said, we'll give you beer. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> And I would make just enough money on a Wednesday night to buy diapers and formula Thursday morning. So I was doing good in my in my mind. Mm-hmm, I figure mm-hmm. if you're gonna play the blues, you have to. Uh, you do have to. You have to. You have to take it on the chin a little. That's true. But That's true. Music, musically speaking, they could all play their butts off. And here's a really funny one because I flew home for Christmas and I played with those guys last Saturday. Oh wow! I did. That drummer and that bass player, um, myself, and then uh, another local now semi-local guitar player that you know took all the gigs after i ran away and joined the circus right so so it was great we sat in and played all those old songs and ruptured people at the tartan tavern in oshawa it's fun man (laughs) it is amazing it was pulling out all the old stuff thank you very much so you uh you have deep roots in oshawa yeah for sure i was born here deep 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 roots too deep well not that deep pretty deep what was oshawa like like 40 years, 40 something years ago when you were a kid, right? You yeah. Were a kid at 40. Yeah. Right? I mean, 40 years ago, I was just uh, in the middle of high school, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it was pretty cool. It was nothing like today. I mean, there was uh, my biggest memories of it. I mean, those are the times when you're getting your shit together to be in bands and stuff yeah. like that. So we were doing the big things where there was always a gig down at City Hall every summer, and there was always a big battle of the bands down at the at the uh, at the park down there. Ted Large from the Yamaha Music Gallery used to run the battle of the bands down there. So we would be doing stuff like that, and the rest of the year we'd be practicing in somebody's basement. Yeah, you know, and bands broke up and started again with other friends. Yeah, every high day. school bands are awesome because there was like. Okay, we're we're not gonna have that guy in the band because we're no. gonna break up, and then you get a new guy in the band, That's and then it. that guy starts a band. You know, it's joyous when I was recording bands because I'd record young bands, yeah, and then they'd break up and come back as a new band. You're of like, course, this is all starting all over again. That's it. <laughs> no, it's amazing. It's amazing stuff. I, I mean, I was getting to the point by that age where I was really working on music, and it got to the point, you know, where there wasn't any really anybody around here that I could learn from to get to the next level, in my opinion. Yeah. And and I wanted to do that. well. What happened was I heard Eddie Van Halen yeah. in '77. And then, you know, after I came out of that nightmare, I figured, geez, I better learn something about this instrument because I don't think anybody's going to do it better than that guy for a long, long time. Yeah, and it's true. That's yeah, exactly and right. I got interested in, in other things, jazz to be specific. Yeah. So I used to travel up to Toronto when I was 16 um, to get lessons off a guy that lived uh, with a stripper right on the same street that Ryerson was on, one of those old okay. three-story apartment buildings. They tore them all down now. Yeah, yeah. But I, yeah, they're like, Real hippies, mm-hmm. you know, people that probably went to Woodstock and dressed funny, yeah, yeah. burned incense, and just took lessons. And- I took lessons and and, and le- learned as much as I could from him. The funny thing about him was, many years later, I met, he had been in Vietnam. He was a Canadian, but he was uh, working in America. Yeah, I forget exactly how this happened, but he ended up getting drafted. So he, yeah, so Canadian. He, uh, he, well, you know, or yeah. what, whatever, or whatever, the, whatever the deal was, he was in the U.S. and yeah. and under, you know, mm-hmm. and he had, maybe he was an American and he moved up here. I can't remember which one it was, mm-hmm. but he ended up going to Vietnam. Yeah, and he lived, 
and uh, they have a thing down there at the time called the GI Bill. Mm-hmm. So many years later, the same guy I took lessons off when I was sixty. He's way older than me, right? I mm-hmm. mean, he's like a product of the sixties. All, but I, I met him in the in the foyer at Berkeley, in Boylston in Boston. I said, "Dude, his name is Richard Julian." I'll never forget. There's lots of guys with that name, but this was back then. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Is that you?" He goes, "Is that you?" I go, "What are you doing here?" He goes, "I'm here on the GI Bill, man." to get some education but he mean he was well into his 40s probably right you know yeah it's kind of freaky but yeah i used to go used to go see him and 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 try to figure out you know and he turned me on to a lot of stuff like he really turned me on to the rock guys he grew up with were like johnny winter and Jimi hendrix of course yeah but then uh the other stuff he he got me into was you know like joe pass ed bickert mm-hmm. people like that jim hall you know that's the first i really really got opened up to those guys. So that made a big impact on everything that I do on guitar. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's known that you you went you went down to did you study? Yeah, I went to Berkeley for yeah. a couple of years now. Yeah, yeah. So at just right out of high school or No, no. I went on the road out of high school with guys about ten or twelve years older than me. Yeah. You know, which is always a good thing because at least they knew how to get paid. Oh yeah, I know. But the other thing is learning how to tour and learning well, they, how to they, be in a band. You know? They they we weren't particularly successful, but we did play a lot. Yeah. And the guy that managed us, you know, had also managed Larry Gowan and Ryan Gold. That mm-hmm. was Larry's first band, you know. Yeah. Out there, so I mean, we got gigs, and the yeah. the big thing when when you're seventeen or eighteen, as I was, I mean, my friends are at home trying to learn Rush albums, yeah. and they want to play this and they want to play that, and they can't get any work because in in those yeah. days in the seventies, popular music, you're not going to get it happening. No. And these guys were older guys, again, guys from the sixties. They were quite a bit older than me. They saw me play. They go, "Hey, that'll be, f- we can sell that. We'll get this little kid." Mm-hmm. And we were doing Kinks and Beatles and Stones and Chuck Berry. So that was a great education for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's the thing. So I went out with them for about a year and uh, decided that I certainly did not want to do what they were doing for a living. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. You know, it's funny you'd say that because you learn what not to. You take away from what you don't want to put up into your into your, your mix. And if I think you, you, we're both kind of an eyes open kind of people. Like sure. I can imagine you're thrown into a group of old guys and you're the young guy. You could easily fall into their old habits and into the, what they think is proper or you can say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm well, it was it was just where they were at for so so. Say if say I was 18, they would have been 30 ish, mm-hmm. right? And I'm going, man, I, I there's no way I'm going to be happy at 30 if if this is all there is. what what you call a music career. And it's not about money or anything. It's just like the whole thing, man. I don't want to, you know. 25 years later, I was up playing Mattawa with uh, with Carl Dixon, but it was to 8,000 people at a big festival. And not at the Mattawa Hotel, opening up for a stripper named Mustang Sally. You yeah. know what I mean? Just, just stuff. I was smart enough to know that that wasn't really exactly the way I wanted to go. Yeah, and you learned a lot of different styles of music, which then when you you ended up culminating into like your style, you know, what kind of who you are in music writing and things like that. Like certainly by the, I think you know by the eighties, by the time I was being called on to come up with songs for the Dwarfs and and to you know to to be a co writer with Russ. I had all those influences in there, mm-hmm. that whole 60s and late 50s thing from being in the band with those kids, and then all the normal influences a guy my age would have, mm-hmm. Van Halen or Led Zeppelin or whatever, you know, and it just gives you a bit more depth. I mean, I can only speak musically as, you know, Russ wrote most of the lyrics and, and stuff like that, mm-hmm. right? I wrote some, but, you know, that was mostly his domain, and I would come up with music for him to write to, and so 
all that stuff's in there. And then the jazz stuff, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. Harmonically yeah. speaking, I wouldn't play necessarily E minor C D. Yeah. I might do something with it. Totally. Totally. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I always thought it interesting because I toured around with a punk rock band and you'd open up for a band, you see the guys start playing, then you think, Oh my god, this guy knows he's not just playing straight ahead punk rock. This guy knows how to play drums or this guy knows his instrument. Absolutely. To the part where you can you can take all that great learning and just sort of digress it a bit or not digress it, but de-evolve de it. Into... I like stuff that has parameters. Yeah, yeah. I, I like, you know, I mean, I always liken it to, uh, you know, I've been working on, on jazz and I, uh, in my current job, I play it all the time. Mm -hmm. I, I, I get those kind of jobs all the time and I love it. I still practice it. I work on it. I listen to it the whole nine years, but I also listen to motorhead. Yeah. It just depends on what's happening that day and it depends on the mood. But I mean, yeah. If I was in Motorhead, I wouldn't be playing jazz lines. No. I could go there and do a pretty good Mike Hall meets Phil Campbell meets Fast Eddie. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> I have respect for the music. There's parameters that are set, and they're set in a good way. Yes, you can bleed other influences in, but still, there are parameters that are that are there, I think, that yeah. give it its identity. You're not going to push your agenda on to You're playing a, a Chuck Berry song, don't do any double-handed tapping. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, or Michael you, J. Or, Fox. <laughs> yeah, or you need a slap because you're doing it wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Just respect for the art, man, you know? Hmm. So when the Killer Dwarves sort of broke out, you guys were doing larger venues or clubs and... and like how did that? How did all that come together? You know, like, for me, I was already I've been friends with Russell yeah. since I was about eighteen. Yeah, we had the same manager. You know, when I had my first little band, my own little band, uh, even before I was in the band with the old guys, mm -hmm. I had my first high school band, and uh, they tried to amalgamate the two bands and get Russ and I to play together back then. But his guitar player wasn't having it. I forget his name, and who cares? <laughs> but. Um, what happened was, uh, so he and I were already friends. Mm -hmm. And then Daryl and, and the original guitar player from the Dwarfs, Bryce, were from Oshawa. So I kind of knew those guys a bit, but not really good. But mm -hmm. I'd seen them play. And they, they were, you know, a cover band, local cover band, that guys that spent time on the road and stuff like that. And clearly were going to be professional musicians for mm -hmm. a good part of their life. So I was already friends with those guys. They put out that one record with Attic. And the one that had heavy metal breakdown on it, I'm not sure that many of the other songs but mm -hmm. uh so and while they were doing that whole thing i was i was still in school mm -hmm. so you know so i remember uh going to see them at the old Janosh hotel there oh yeah yep main street downstairs <laughs> when um and i was leaving the next day to go to uh to go to the states and study mm -hmm. and uh russ rush had just put out new world man okay and, and I remember Russ bought me the single as a going away present. Here you go. This is a weird one. <laughs> There's some reggae in there. I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it was cool. You know. <laughs> anyway, so I was already friends with them. And uh, so they put a record out and, uh, and did one national tour. Yeah. So, but, so when I came back uh, in 84 and their guy had quit, he's going, this isn't happening. You know, I don't think that... Uh, well, I can tell you exactly what he said to me. First, he said, don't join that band. <laughs> and secondly, he says, you know what? If I was as good as Randy Rhodes or Eddie Van Halen, I'd stay at it. But, you know, I, I've kind of come to I've come to my peak as a musician. And, and the songwriting was something that threw him a bit. It wasn't right. something that he was really, really interested in. He was a copy guy. You know what I mean? Get the record and try to figure out this, figure out that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's totally cool. But uh, that certainly wasn't where my head was at. I, I somehow 
always understood that the songs, it's a song business. And you better have a show if you're going to be a long-haired cowboy boot-wearing tattooed rock band <laughs> from anywhere. Yeah. But but you got to have tunes. So the, the uh, I was eager to... Uh, to find a band that could entertain and uh, and start writing songs and throw my hat into that ring, yeah, so yeah. it was a good opportunity for me. Yeah. When you say it's it's interesting when you say a cover band musician versus uh, an original musician, yeah, it's you not just about... divided that line there because there are people that do covering beautifully. They're oh, asked, perfect! Just I mean the other the other example would be a classical pianist. Yeah, he can read or he can she she can read the notes, play exactly what needs to be played. But then you say, "Hey, play a play a couple of let's let's jam." They're like, "What?" Oh yeah, I don't the same thing. Well, I noticed the same thing again in my current job. There's more people come from the classical side of the house, right? Mm -hmm. So they're they're going to be uh, really good at a couple of things. Or as I like to say, he's a one trick pony, and it's not that good of a fucking trick. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. that was never that was never what I was interested in. It was always uh, to incorporate as many different styles and genres, and and put the time in, and just be a complete rat for the guitar and and try to progress at that and and certainly songwriting is something that i still to this day um continue with in a variety of styles really enjoy and 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 i think that's a big but it is certainly no uh there's all kinds of guys out there man like you get them to copy something it will be way more precise than i would ever do it well yeah that's interesting because people do they'll take a style like mm -hmm. eddie van halen sure and they'll go i think i can do that yeah and then they'll find a way around the way of doing it but it won't be the way eddie does it no it won't but, but it might they might open new avenues to become that's true too a different uh a different view at it so therefore you're looking at it with different eyes you're going to play kind of the same thing but then advance it a la steve vai you know what i mean so steve vai steps it up a bit it's just interesting stuff i mean i remember when when he like i mean when van halen came out it was just like what the hell is that and after so many years mm -hmm. You know, and the internet and so many players and all the investigation has been done now. Mm -hmm. So it's really easy for a young player to, to really pick up on that style. If he has any musical ability and, and a little bit of uh, fortitude, he can pick up on that style way easier than the first time we heard that record when we were 15. Everybody shit their pants yeah. like you had no idea what he's doing. Totally. Now, if you see a video of Ed doing a certain technique, you go, well, that's not hard. No. Plus, there's, there's like, um, you know, just... Fuck tons of content on the internet on on based on his style because he's been out there for over forty years and yeah. and without doubt one of the greatest pioneers of anything crunchy right well, the guy's amazing well it's interesting to think if you think of that first Van Halen record there's no overdubs no he's playing the solos as well as the rhythm and when you hear that you're like oh my god like nobody does that anymore really. yeah you know what I mean like and to that's the style where people like they just out of necessity it's like years and, later yeah years later i got to record at that studio where that was done okay yeah, yeah. sunset sound oh, in la oh there you go back yeah. in the day is that i think it was something like 2200 us a day thank god we had a record deal holy shit <laughs> i know give me a break wow yeah i won't need that to eat or anything we'll just <laughs> yeah. let's just Don't go in there and do the that. labels paying for it yeah we we'll, sell records we'll, we'll at take all it, we'll in. get it all back later <laughs> yeah. uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, in, in Killer Dwarves actually became successful in the era of MTV, much music. And, and that's and, definitely what set it off. Yeah. And there's like that, yeah. there's videos where there were, there was the ones with the video where it's like you're making your own record. Yeah. And, that was the second one. That was Stand Tall. Yeah. You know, I, I don't remember all the names yeah. of those. 
<laughs> and I don't know how, again, really Russ's domain. That's a brilliant concept. Though. Oh, for like, sure. It, uh, the guys that put that together uh, were, were also local guys, mm-hmm. you know, that had gone on. And I believe were studying film in school and sure. stuff like that. And they had some old, old you know, B-film stuff. I mean, I think the, the Keep the Spirit Alive video was done. Like, I might be... I think it was like $4,100 we had. (laughs) And the thing got playlisted on MTV. Now that's just, there was no standards in those days where the, is this entertaining or is this not entertaining? And um, there was this goofball up here that had this company called Maze Records. And we made the record um, with money that we earned playing bars. And I think Russ borrowed a little off his mom. And we would go into Comfort Sound uh, and record in the middle of the night over a period of time. Put that thing out. And, uh, you know, it was, it was the, the very beginning of, of video. And also, you know, as that hard rock or, you know, pop heavy metal thing was starting to explode, nobody was getting signed in America unless, you know, they either had some serious connections, like, you know, yeah. they were friends with Bon Jovi or some shit. Yeah. Or um, if you had put out an indie and were either already a national act like we were, mm-hmm. Or, uh, you know, you put out an indie and you were just really big on the scene, like with the crew or Rat or any of those bands, even, you know, they, they were selling records. Yeah. So a lot of the job is done. And, and this would have made it easier for, for the people at Electra or Atlantic or Epic or any of those. Records. Well, look, they've already got a record out. They sold 50,000 copies. In our case, I think the number back then was 80. That's a lot of records. Yeah. It's a lot of records. They somebody has to give you a mill. That's more than that's what, just how it goes. Yeah, man. and that's more than Drake sold last year. You know what I mean? Like, oh, spooky. Well, it's a different time. I, I know mean, it's true. In, but... in, our, in our day, that was that was just enough to get in the game. Yeah, you know that was yeah. a very successful indie, and and in in large part due to MTV playing the shit out of that video. Totally, down. and they yeah. really did. Yeah, and yeah. and we you know we were getting interviewed on MTV and being on MTV as an indie act. At that point, it's just like. You know, but you're pioneers because the the other labels. Well, I I can't say I was, in, but, in, I, but in, no, I know in the case I just but, showed up. Yeah, yeah. But in in the case of being an indie band, like being on MTV, yeah, there's there's it's it's very difficult to try to even explain the concept of your band. You make a record, then you make a video, then you get played on MTV. Yeah, then you go sell records, and it's. It seems simple, like the equation seems like oh, it just but, seems simple, but, but it just is. There's so many more layers to it, and oh, especially yeah. in the '80s. Yeah, I mean, you're dealing with people putting bottles of Jack Daniels with like bins of Coke under the bottle. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Here you go, play our song. You know sure. What I mean? And I don't know. And 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 all, and I'm sure all that stuff was on, but I I doubt highly. I think somebody at MTV, honestly, I think you know there was a company down there called Grudge Records, and they picked up our record, you know, through the guy the from our record small record label up here was called maze um a guy named zoran busick up here who we ended up suing and winning still never got paid (laughs) but uh, yeah he just he just left town he goes i got all your money fuck off all right i'll see you later (laughs) okay you win (laughs) you're the guy but you know with uh, without him without getting that robbed you know without losing all that money hundreds of thousands of dollars the deal we cut uh we never would have come to the attention of of epic records And and the rest of the career wouldn't have those guys wouldn't be playing still here mm-hmm. in 2018 19 they're still out there gigging those songs I wrote with Russell back when we were kids so you know the, it all it's all the price of an education as Keith says and yeah. that's all there is to it we weren't nobody was in that for the money believe me no, <laughs> it no. never even occurred to us I, when all of a sudden there was some waving around you know 
Well, that's the tricky part because once the money starts coming well, in, Jason you- Jason Flom came in our dressing room at Lemoore's in in fucking Queens, and the first thing out of his mouth was, "Who wants to get rich?" Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So it was wow. like, uh, we're looking at each other, going, "Wow, well, fuck, I guess I do." I was, <laughs> what, is, what is what does that mean to guys like us? That would be like what, like new pants? <laughs> you know, fuck, man. Who wants to get rich? Well, I mean, there was there was a lot of. Uh, because you think there was a lot of money rolling around back then and there was seem to people seem to be investing a lot of money in the bands and i've had like a conversation with cam carpenter who used to run mc he was the head of a and r at mc records throughout like the late 80s into the 90s right when when it was a team of people working behind you and yeah but for sure there was like there was your publicist there was yep. your um whatever your marketing person there sure. was your this guy your image consultant and all this stuff yep there was a team of people who were tasked to work with you. Especially, uh, I think at, at the major level, there definitely was. And, and uh, the part that used to sort of piss me off, and you always have to be careful and be willing to fight for yourself back then was, and I see it now, I see it in the military too, but people like to get in there and get their stamp on it. Yeah. They want to be responsible. That They Angel. want it to be their idea. They want it. And I understand yeah. that. I understand that they've, you know, they're, they're making the real fucking money, right? Yeah. They're the guys making the big dough, so they want to make sure that, well, you're in my bed. I came up with that thing on the back there. of the, You know, that, that was mine. Yeah. And that's how they are, right? But the other thing is, you know, if, uh, if your shit doesn't go great guns and just fucking blast the world right out of the gate, they're right just as quick to shut you down and move on to the next guy. And, and they do have a next guy in the wings. And they're making so much fucking money back then, hand over fist cash, giant bonuses at the end of the year like i mean they were the real rich guys yeah and 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 being part of that scene for me and and spending a lot of time in new york and la and and knowing all the other bands that were even far success more successful than us and and seeing what happened to everybody yeah. outside of just a handful of people that were true true superstars that managed to keep it going and actually made some money and managed to hang on to something yeah you know i mean you, you could count them on one hand and that was a big big scene Mm-hmm. But you could count anybody that got through that fucking shit on one hand, unscathed and, you know, going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. And do you think the amount of money wasted so Bon Jovi can have a nice home? You know, I mean, Bon Jovi is sort of me to meet the epitome of rock stardom. You know, he, for some he, reason. It just transcended the whole damn thing and never took a backward step. It just yeah. kept on going. But when you think about who got to do that i guess you know the guns and roses came in late and axel certainly kept that going slash yeah. has had a semblance of a career and they're back yeah. out there mopping up with some money but bon jovi just kept right plowing right yeah. through there's a different so he, i mean he's the he's the he's the guy yeah from that era, if you think between axel and bon jovi axel was just so destructive and yeah and sort of you know badass but yeah. bon jovi a little bit badass. Not, no, he, a, not I mean, a total badass. Yeah, not really. Yeah, I mean, you know, a little he, bit, just enough to scare your parents. He had smaller tattoos. Yeah, yeah, and uh, <laughs> and you know, he probably got along he's, fine he's with a, his father. He was a smaller man. He was a little guy. He was a very small man. He was a little guy. <laughs> little little singing little singing guy there. Yeah. Whenever I say uh, I'm gonna make it, I want to make it Bon Jovi make it. Like that's 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 the, yeah that's making it. You know that's, what I mean? Yeah, it really is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I wouldn't even know. So, you know, there, there, there's a couple of others that managed to sort of keep things going to a certain extent. We don't need to go through them. Everybody sure. knows. But uh, he just kept blasting right through and selling records and, you know, moving into different things. And I think he, you know, I think he was an actor 
He was. Oh, good God. That was what musicians do. Even John Lennon did it. Yeah, I guess they all did. <laughs> I guess all did. I just saw something today on, on the internet that I want to see now again, and I saw it when it came out. It was Jason Patrick's phenomenal movie, Jennifer Jason Lee, Jason Patrick, and Greg Allman. Oh. Greg Allman. I didn't know he could talk. Well, this is 1990 <laughs> or 91, and he did a, did, a, did a show called Rush, where he plays a really bad drug dealer. So now I want to see it. I think I watched it when it came out. Mm. Because I was on the same label as Greg Allman. Okay, yeah. My, the A and R guy that signed us had gone back and signed Dickie Betts, and then he went and signed Greg Allman, and they both sort of had a bit of success with their so- solo careers. And then when mm. that started to fall off, and they owed money, he made them put the Allman brothers back together. So it was, <laughs> it was really, really a good fucking pretty move. cunning. Yeah, yeah. Very well. You got to be. That's really yeah. where it's at. Yeah. They're, they're, you know, if you're an A and R in those days. You know, cunning is what you got to be. And and I think a fan, too. You yeah. Got, you got to be a fan, right? Yeah, yeah. I, like, I don't even know what today means with A&R. Oh, me I, neither. I don't even know. And I I think it's a dead art. In, in You know, the, the idea of developing music and developing a band and developing art, taking a chance. Yeah, these a career. Things, these developing things a career. died, like, in the late 90s. Oh, you're, you're lucky to get one swing at the bat now. We're, yeah. We're... It's like a I said, huge back swing. Yeah, it, or or is it? I don't even know. Yeah, like I, yeah. I'm so so far removed from the, from that aspect. Everybody that I like or respect is completely independent now. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Everybody does that because it's like okay, like even like I'm a huge fan of Neil Finn. He has sure. his own record label. Amazing. He's just, his whole family's in in his on his label and tours with him. He is taking something where it was like at that pinnacle of possibly like being the biggest thing ever to go. Meh. Okay. Yep. I want to have integrity. I want to have um, a vision, and I want to be able to create something about somebody tapping me on the shoulder, going, "I think that needs to be louder," or that yeah. you know what I mean. And 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 that and that is part of it. I mean, I can honestly say that we didn't get too much of a hard time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were basically left to our own devices, but it was just sort of accepted that if you're going to play that major label game outside mm-hmm. of Metallica, you know, an Electra wasn't the biggest certainly wasn't epic like i got off the fucking floor at epic in new york in that big black building and there was a life-size statue of michael jackson there you know what i mean like that's a that's something to a kid from whitby so you're just going holy fuck i guess we're here i guess this is it (laughs) Dodo. yeah 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 but uh you know uh, i I never had anybody coming to me saying you're doing it wrong or you're doing it you know any of it right just wasn't like that we knew that it was an interesting line down the middle of what is, you know, would be construed in the 80s and has it evolved on what would be, you know, commercials, a funny word. Some people think it's shitty. I mean, the Beatles were commercial. I don't know. I just wanted to make songs people would enjoy that rocked out and I wanted to do great shows. Yeah. I knew what I had to do. I knew what that band had to do. You know, yeah. we weren't, you know, going to go travel in a van playing death metal to pimply face boys. We wanted to be a big band. Yeah. And that's what we were going for. That's why they signed us. Yeah. Because they felt the potential was there to have some sort of chart success or sure. some sort of radio and video success. And I, I I understood that. Nobody had to bother me, you know? Well, there is a game you play. That's what you said. And, and yeah. I, I dealt with the same issue in the early 2000s when someone said, hey, you write kind of cool songs. Why don't you uh, try and lose 30 pounds and uh, learn how to sing? <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'll try that. And I did. Yeah. And I did and I did. And then... Nobody in Canada wanted to touch us. So where do we go? We went, first demo we sent to Sweden. Right. The label goes, we love your band. There you like, go. Awesome. And so then we toured Europe like six times. There you go. I mean, you know, there's, that's there's, just the way. It's there's like, so much more to it. You but just I mean, go to where, you know, where you're appreciated. And unfortunately, Canada and America 
very image based. Yeah, uh, well, in those today, days, my God, even today, you know, is that right? Eh? Where you have to sort of look pretty, and you know, there's long gone are the days of like um, the scorpions. Sure, you know what I mean. And, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and 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 those mooks are still out there. Yeah, bad boys running wild. <laughs> They're just giving her playing Where did the Ginomodome somewhere La- in Munich right now. The, you know? the, the, another one of those bands. This is our last tour, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, well, perhaps not. It happens. Yeah, I've got my eye on this castle outside Nuremberg. <laughs> <laughs> I ran into those guys. Where was it? I went with Coney Hatch one time. Oh, about two thousand four, mm-hmm. and they were supposed to go over and play Sweden. Rock Fest, mm-hmm. and it was the original band. It was Steve, Andy, uh, Dave, and Carl. Wow! And you know, Andy works for uh, the big management company in Toronto, and he's got a whole different life. And mm-hmm. and I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden, boom! He's pulling out last minute. He couldn't do it because of a work related thing. I'm not sure exactly what the story is. So I had I knew all their songs on guitar because I'd played with Carl for years mm-hmm. after the Dwarfs. So I I knew all their stuff. And uh, he calls me up. He goes. Do you still got a bass? Oh my god! I go. I do. I got a '72 jazz bass, which I use for recording. Right, yeah. not a bass player. Because yeah. you think you could play Andy's parts? I go. Ah, he's not exactly Jocko Pistorius. Yeah, I, I could I probably probably could get through most of that. He goes. You want to go to Sweden? I said. Yeah, sure. I'll oh go. My god. So I went over there. This is 2004. And it was all classic. Judas Priest was on the bill, and the Scorpions were on the bill. You know what I mean? Hawkwind was on the bill. April Wine was over there. Pat Travers. Wow. Heart. You know what I mean? Wow. Like a lot it was of oxygen backstage. Oh my God, man! <laughs> so and and they didn't just put us up for uh, for our period of time we were playing. They let us stay for the whole festival, oh and they God. had everybody ensconced in this nice sort of country retreat, not too far from where the where yeah. the where the festival grounds were. But I, I saw them there, and it was uh, it was insane. I mean. And I saw them a couple of times when I was younger. Here was these very, very elder statesmen, German guys, and they're killing it, man. Yeah. It was killer still. Yeah. And, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people there. Yeah. Melodic rock, man. You know, this yeah. is the thing. Right? Yeah. Well, what happens in Germany now, in Germany, Italy, anywhere where it's not English, is people try to write songs in English. Right. And I think it's, there's a, people are turning a corner now because I have some friends in Italy in a band. And the labels are telling them, don't write in English anymore. Right. Let the English people do that. Because the big idea was to write in English and then try to project yourself outside of whatever your country is. No point. And it's like singing, like it's like a, th- a third grader singing, you know? Yes. Because it's the lyrics. And... So, well, I, I got to say, some of that early Scorpion stuff is about at that level, totally, too, right? Yeah. I mean, but it sounds good coming out of his yap. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, California! Yeah. I mean, just yeah. the way he sings, it doesn't matter if it makes zero sense. <laughs> I get the idea, you know, they like banging chicks. Yeah. And the, oh, po- yeah. And, and the potty is on. The potty. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I know about that's that. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. all I know. What's that one song, I, I, can't, I Can't Stay, or one of the songs where it's the tour bus breaks down? Okay. <laughs> And they're all like in different rooms with different chicks. Ah! The bass player and the drummer share in a room. I'm well, like, that's brilliant. That is brilliant. Because you, you you know that's how that goes. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a Helix tour. Totally. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I'm not coming on tour anymore if I have to share a room with Archie. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. funny, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, the idea now, like, like that thing what I was saying, the idea now is to sing in your native tongue because you're going to mean 
it's going to mean more. And I think that's that's pretty powerful because I think it's a good idea. But I, I mean, I I see the way it was before, and I totally understand that too. And I don't blame them for wanting to. Well, if scorpions were to try in German, then they it never would, would have done it. it never right? would have made. So I mean, and and some of that early stuff, which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a guitar player, there was just some crazy guitar stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, you know, how the, do you play with your mouth open outside? All the time. <laughs> the, the, real, the real popular stuff when they really started to break through for the North American audience was until they got Matthias Jobs on, mm-hmm. on guitar there. And, and it was just a, even this, the records of that era that didn't sell a lot uh, became sort of iconic and known you know, with yeah, those yeah. guys, with what they do, right? But yeah. you know, what a, what, a, what a beautiful career. Killer yeah. band. Yeah, so, so you, you went through the 80s and into the 90s. How did you transition into... Ah, uh, well, never easy. No, the big transition between. I could see the writing was on the wall. Yeah, and uh, I was really, really upset with how uh, how Dirty Weapons was handled at the end of the day. Although it was our our biggest seller to date, had done very well. Mm -hmm. Um, I was unhappy with uh, personal management, Mm -hmm. and I wasn't really happy with how the label handled it. That's 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 on me. I let things get me down. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was time for me to go and and go. I did, and uh, right off the bat. I never had any problem thinking about, well, I was in this band, I should do this, I should do that. So I just started just to make a new circle of friends with uh, with professional gigging musicians that were doing a variety of things. And I set about trying to learn how to make a living. Yeah. Because when you're in a band like that for most of the 80s, you're, not, you're really not concerned about money and stuff like that. I was just, I was concerned about good songs, making records, doing videos, and getting back on tour. Yeah. And I did that nonstop for three albums and three tours. So... That was good for me. I just just concentrated on on really trying to uh, just spread the wings and, and figure out how I could fit into this. Yeah. And, and over a period of time, it worked out pretty good. So I'd be playing a lot of different kinds of music, generally cover tunes, but also you know playing with people that maybe we would do some country and then morph into some R and B. And then you know on, on Sunday nights, I play with guys that were more rhythm and blues, you know, sixties yeah. rhythm and blues. On Friday and Saturday, I might play with a guy that's doing a lot of. Uh, a lot of country and classic rock. So there was all that stuff. And, 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 and then teaching lessons, uh, doing sessions with other people, you know, trying to help other people see their vision in the studio as opposed to stuff I wrote myself. Somebody would come to me with their acoustic guitar on, or, or a little song they wrote on a tape and what can you make of this? Yeah. I go, well, how much money do you have? <laughs> so, yeah. you know, and it wasn't just me. There was other people out there doing the same thing. What I, what I, ne- I never really tried to... Uh, to go out and do the sideman thing, I, I generally had a lot of my own projects going. Although I did play with Carl Dixon a lot, mm-hmm. uh, pretty much right after the Dwarfs, Carl was coming out with his first solo effort, and uh, you know, not bad, good songs and all that, but totally missed the boat considering where the big leagues of music were going. You know, with the Pearl Jam, and, oh yeah, the whole music and Nirvana and all that. On its ear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a he had a whole selection of songs that he wrote as a staff writer. You know, for one of the big publishing companies, I can't remember. And he, you know, if the songs are already written, why not make a record? Yeah. You know, he had he had uh, probably, you know, 20 demos of, what you know, really, really well-made songs. So he put it out as a record, and we went out and played that. Opened a lot of shows for good old Atlanta Miles. And oh, like a lot that. of miles. That's right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was over. So I, I just, just tried to learn how to make a living, how to stay busy. Mm-hmm. And how to do things, you know, on my own. I was, you know, definitely bound to determine I would never be in another band. That's for darn sure. Interesting. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just something you go through, I think. Yeah, a bit of PTSD maybe. For sure. 
definitely, definitely just stunned from it. Yeah. And then just try to figure out, you know, you know, how, how to, how to just, how to just enjoy it. And, you know, but, but mostly how to make a living and survive just doing music yeah. because that in itself, you know, yeah. after 40 years of it, I can tell you that in itself is, is something. Well, anywhere, any musician who, who has a, uh, a uh, success sort of early in life or sort of in the mid part or wherever their part of life is to be able to start again yeah. is the most daunting task ever because first of all you've hit that peak and you've seen the top and you see oh this I could look around here this looks exciting and then immediately go to your own starting based on your own volition though. oh for sure but, but, but then to be able to um, get back on your feet and keep going sure that's the most important thing i've talked to bands all day long who say that yeah like, i had my band we had a little bit of success we broke up it was a bitch to get shit back together again. yeah well it i is. mean one thing that i wasn't going to do at that point for sure was start another all original rock band and yeah. go through that shtick so that never even occurred to me mm-hmm. i was i was happy to find other ways to earn uh, other ways to be creative and and really concentrate on that stuff i mm-hmm. i think you know Somewhere between um, 1990 and two, so the next 20 years, I think 20 years later, I was running, when I left town, I was running no less than, what did I fix? Nine different acts Mm -hmm. to make money. Nine nine different things, all different stuff. Two shows a night. So what do you want? You know what I mean? Uh, I would have this kind of band for a wedding. I would have an acoustic oh. duo for this. Just all these different things yeah. that I would be doing. And, and on any given week, you know, I would be out doing, say, four or five different things. And that'll keep you on your toes and keep you busy, too. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And I yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah. And I, I do know some friends who play in several different bands. And to me, I find that wildly fascinating because I've been in a band and then I've been not in a band. Right. But And I've had my own band. But I haven't really. I've the most I've been in is two bands, right? And that's enough. Like that's. I, I, you Depends know. what you're doing with it. I mean, it's for me. It's just that's just the the idea. Since I was a kid, was not necessarily to be a long haired tattooed pop star in the '80s. In fact, mm-hmm. that never occurred to me until it sort of happened. Mm-hmm. But the idea was to play guitar at a very high level, in a multitude of genres, and 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 and. Just uh, be true to the art of guitar playing. That was all, that's always been the touchstone and the thing that kept me going. Yeah. And when things were tough, I could always re- re, uh, rely on that to get me to the next step. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to sit around and go, well, I mean, I've gone through it once. You, you realize how hard it is. And to watch the change and how abruptly all those lots of there's lots of shit bands in the '80s. There's an awful lot of real good ones too. You yeah. know what I mean? A lot of talented people that I met over the years, and everybody felt it, man. Except yeah. our friend Bon Jovi, I think he did okay. He's, He's gone. How do these right. How do these pants look? I think I might cut my hair. Won't, affect, <laughs> won't affect my career, but no, you'll be fine. Do that, John. You're, John, you're lay, good. Lay low, John. You're good. Just Give keep it. keep keep serving up the same old crapola. They'll buy it, John. Leave They're it dig- five years, and I think <laughs> IBM is looking for somebody to sing a song for them. And uh, don't worry, karaoke. You always got karaoke. Karaoke's a good thing. So you know, <laughs> and, and that's just how it was. And and then uh, as that all unfolded and stuff and. You know, I, I watched everyone fall. Absolutely. And then that was that was when it was like, ooh, now I'm really glad that uh, I sort of had this. You jumped off the boat before it was sinking. Yeah, to a certain extent, but also just that I would have the ability and interest and had put in the time and still do to do a variety of things under the banner of professional musician and survive, you know? Yeah. That's the key. Well, that's and that's not just 
that's not just a Canadian um, trait. No. Where, because we can't, you know, we don't, our, our industry is obviously 10th of the size of American just based on population. Just. But just being a better musician. Tiny. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but just, just being a better musician alone is more important than the, the payout. And the payout's great, but it all feeds itself. Yeah. So if you're good and working and then you, someone pays you some money to do something like that, awesome. And if you don't, then a lot of people go out and get a job as, I don't know. Why not? Yeah, pizza. Why, when I was a kid, it was just like, oh, no, I couldn't possibly do anything else. I'm a musician. That would be wrong. Yeah. I'd be selling out. I'd be fucking up. I'm not giving everything to it. I don't look at it that in that, yeah. that light. Yeah. It, but let me say this. In defense of that, if you do not live it and breathe it, you probably, there'll be somebody around that does, yeah. that's going to get more opportunities than you, so just get that's going to make more money than you, yeah. and fucking be a better musician than you are. Yeah. And they might have some down periods, and there might mm-hmm. be a, more of a swing in their life. They don't have that fucking, you know, mm-hmm. but man, you know, it's worth it. Yeah, yeah. So I, it just, just depends. I can't count how many people I knew who were on the brink of making it and now don't do anything to do with music a lot they're out they're out they're done you know and i think they were looking for something else yeah yeah and and, and that's just a whole fucking that's fine a whole platter it is there's no there's no lawyer but it's a it's a it's a platter of emptiness some of us are put on earth to do you know certain things and uh, you have a responsibility to do those as long and as hard as you can totally absolutely and i i think i think if you if if that's the case you know like you just know whenever I used to, I would teach lessons, you know, when I had small kids and stuff like that in an effort to not be on the road all the time. Cause I would get offers and stuff, but I didn't want to be too far from my family at the time. So I would have parents come to me, go, you know, you seem to be doing okay. You know, you seem to be, uh, you're living a pretty normal suburban existence and you, you play all the time and you teach and you do session work and stuff. And my son really wants to be a professional musician and blah, blah, blah. They'd be asking me for, fucking advice mm-hmm. and 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 i would just i go you know no if you have to bring it up if the parents have to come to me and ask then mm-hmm. it's already wrong yeah if you're really mad at him and you're about to kick him out of the house then things might be going right exactly and that's just how it is and it yeah. was that's how it was for me and that's how it was for anybody i know it like it needs to be everything to you it did you know i'm yeah. sure it's still the same i'm sure it's even tougher yeah. i don't know it's always been tough yeah. but i mean when 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 that is the most important thing and just you just can't fathom life without it then, then you got a you got a shot at the title at least sure. at least you got that the hunger the fire yeah, yeah at least you got that heart yeah. right because then nothing hurts yeah you know so, so with with your i mean going way back as as being a young musician were your parents constantly trying to talk you out of it? Were they were super? Supportive? Oh, they, I think I th- no, not really. They uh, they sort of gave up on. Uh, I'm sure they weren't very happy. Well, I know that, but uh, no. Uh, but you know, they're they're pretty smart people, and they are music lovers, uh, and which is why you know how I got in this position in the first place, right. just being around it. But uh, yeah, I, I think parents naturally just want you to have a good life, and you know. And be okay, and be able to take care of yourself, be a responsible human, and do all that stuff. And they—they're uh, they're not stupid at all. And yeah. They never figured that there would be any money in music. And if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I—I uh, I have a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old, and both of them kind of play a little bit. Right. And, and my son is gifted at guitar. And yeah. He just took it up and learned YouTube. And I'm like, my 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 fiber in my being is. You don't want to do that. No, that's good. You, you want to be a lawyer. You want to be a doctor. But these are these are the part of the deep 
PTS being in a van traveling for 25 <laughs> years who says, you don't want to go through that shit. Please don't do that. You really don't. But and especially just, these days. And it's... he picks up In My Life by the Beatles. Right. Which is not an easy song. No. It's... That was his first song he learned how to play. You know, so it's like, okay, you're going to do well, but come on, use it to, you know, I'm trying not to use my whatever jadedness yeah pessimism to i never say. really got to but uh, my my ex you know i think was enough she came from a family of musicians and so when she saw that my boy was maybe heading down that that way mm-hmm. and i you know bought him guitars and basses and all that stuff and uh, and i you know he could have easily done it um i don't think he got i think he you know probably the you couldn't even measure the lack of support for him to to move in that direction. So mm-hmm. that was pretty much taken care of. But she's a pretty strong-willed person, so <laughs> there's no fucking way he was going to, you know, go and pursue that. Although, you yeah. know, I said to him many, many, many fucking times, I go, "Here's this bass. Bruce Jacobs made this bass. He was playing with Streetheart after after Spide went to go with Loverboy, you know, at West there. And Bruce was also a great tech and worked on all my guitars and stuff. And he built this bass out of, you know, just parts and this and the wicked, wicked bass. And I bought it off him for Sam and gave it to him. And he was really into it in those days and taking lessons and working on stuff. And I can't imagine how much it was just downplayed at home. But uh, could he have? Absolutely. Absolutely had the talent. It's just in his genes from her side and mine. But, uh, you know, it's got to be, there can't be any question. Well, that's the thing, too. You can't yeah. say, hey, I had a great life. Because I did. You know, I'll say all bullshit aside. Sure. I've had an amazing career in music. I've written some songs for people, and I've had some success. And sure. I, I, I revel. I love the success, and I, I appreciate the, the, how it failed at times. You need it all. You need you the balance of everything. And for me to try to explain that in a sort of a one-bullet-point situations to your your kids yeah it's a tough one because you say <laughs> i had the best time ever you gotta do it <laughs> and yeah that, and at that point he might say yeah i'm not gonna do that because you did it you know yeah. you're not cool anymore yeah it's 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 hard to say what how, how to go about that but uh you know I, all i ever said was if you're not gonna live and die on the on that hill yeah then maybe don't it's because you're it. yeah you're not gonna have the skin thick enough and you're not gonna push yourself through and you're not gonna have something fall back on any i mean fall back on your fucking talent and your and your drive and your hard yeah, work and yeah. if you don't have that that to working together yeah synced up then uh, you're gonna you're gonna struggle yeah we're even really- even if you fucking play weddings on the weekend yeah right yeah. and run a karaoke on fucking thursday i've never really done that shit but i mean I, i'm just saying there's guys out there that do that and make a great living and are happy yeah and, and go it's, ahead it's perspective at it the is, same man. time because if you work a job where you're just a normal paper pusher and then you get to go have excitement. You've put it in a perspective to say, this is where I enjoy it. And I, I appreciate that when people sure. say, you know what? I, I'm a lawyer. I love to play guitar. Right. And I go out and jam with my buddies on weekends. And, I, and you know, and here's the, here's the thing. Like when Long McQuaid started like the, the camp for adults, the rock and roll camp right. for adults, when I was 27, I'm like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> but the 48 year old in me is like, that sounds like fun. Yeah, right. I could do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's something that would sounds like fun because- it, It's interesting to see even how that much changed. I mean, I, ca- I came up in an era, I'm old enough, unfortunately, where there was every, you know, there was a lot of live music yeah. when I was a teenager. Um, every hotel had it. Every town had it. Agents ran all the rooms. You had to be good to play around the GTA. Otherwise, you're going up in the fucking tree line to learn yeah. your craft. Yeah. I agree with all that stuff. 
And over the years, it's died out. And uh, there's not that many. There's always the, the ones that are exceptions to the rule that come along and really haven't paid a whole bunch of dues, and yet they're still good somehow. Mm-hmm. But they'll fall in some other way. Yeah. And uh, it's, just, it's just interesting to see how much that's changed. And, you know, now it's pretty dead. Yeah. And, and everywhere, not just here. So. And in every circle, it becomes a little, oh, here it's coming back. And then it, uh, and every time it comes around the circle, it seems yeah. a little less um, valid or something. Yeah. Or a little less uh, um, tangible. I agree. Way. I mean, I live in Winnipeg, which, which always, and a, a lot of musicians from my era will agree to you if they've toured extensively in Canada, what that was one of the main rock and roll cities in this country. Very, very supportive. And even when I moved out there, you know, nine years ago, there was a lot of live shows, a lot of older bands that probably wouldn't go play anywhere else, yet they're playing in Winnipeg and they're packing the place. Um, They still had that cabaret license law where they had to have some sort of entertainment if you sold alcohol, you know, difference in, in, in what license you had. So there was a lot of people work and you could go out there and play six nights a week and make a living Mm-hmm. You know, and that that is really that's gone away. So the idea of being a professional musician, and then the other thing, um, which is unfortunate because I want people to have a hobby and have a good time too, but the level has not gone up; it's gone down. When you see the professionals, so-called professionals, the people that are out there playing, for me anyway, I go out and I'm rarely not really that impressed. Mm-hmm. It's not. There's no standard. There's no standard. I mean, I'm not saying you got to fucking be this good or that good, but just a professional level. Something as simple as you've been around a long time. I've been around a long time. These are clearly lawyers that have been fucking around in the basement Mm -hmm. and they're in the way and they're doing it for nothing and they've driven it into the ground. Helped. It's not just them, but it's, it's, it's another thing. So the, 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 the idea that you can make a living from live music is, is tougher than ever. I'm sure there's, I know there's still people out there doing it, but I'm sure it hasn't gotten any easier because yeah. of the multitude more of people that have decided that they need to play out in public where alcohol is served. <laughs> I think it's unfortunate. Well, I, I lived in Winnipeg in the early 90s for a couple of years. And, I'm sorry. Uh, I, <laughs> I w- did one winter, so I did oh, a year and a half. Good God. And it was the worst. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> the band I played in, we played we played maybe like three times a year in Winnipeg, and then right. the rest we'd be on tour. Sure. You know, And so we would take off on a tour, and we'd be in Vancouver, and then we'd go down to Los Angeles, and then we'd be in florida and then we'd come up through ontario and then that would be our summer yeah and we just go on tour and that was a an interesting concept for being a band in the middle of canada that could have yeah. just gone in either direction and then and, and made a pretty good living doing what we were doing but we chose to be like beatniks and just sort of jump in a van and take off that was sort of like there's a lot of bands in winnipeg like um Propagandy, yeah. uh, weaker than yeah. um, the band. You know, I played in. We just we just tour, and we wouldn't be there for very much time. <laughs> there's there's still groups like that out there. Yeah, there's still people uh, out there that uh, spend a large portion of their of their of their year on the road. They're certainly not going to make a living around town. But I was just talking about more. Uh, yeah, it's just a, of the, your day to day musician that that is not necessarily in a van or on a bus. Or, yeah, well, you know. the difficult part, the difficult part of of being a musician is living and but if all you do is live music it's not that difficult no so therefore people go out and get lawyer jobs and then sort of know how to play at the same time they might be super talented but they haven't honed it in a way of uh not just playing right showing up on time sure uh doing a sound check speaking to people like in a normal cordial way sure uh dealing with the professionalism part of behind the stage there's a lot more to it than that for sure although i will say the guy that don dawkin plays with now is a lawyer 
Yeah. And he can he could peel out on the guitar. He does a very good George Lintz impersonate <laughs> impersonation of, of Uncle George. Well, and uh, that's that's impressive. So a, I'm I'm assuming that if he's flying out every weekend to play '80s songs in bars with Don, that he's not doing a lot yeah. of lawyering. Yeah, well, maybe his dad owns the business. I don't yeah. know. But he's a good player. There's a band called Arson down in Toronto that are a bunch of old old guys, like 60-year-old. Right. And the drummer is David Quentin Steinberg, who is Rush's lawyer. Okay. So, But he also played in the Dead Boys and other bands like, sure, you know, he's back been around in the it. 80s days. Uh, like I said, I don't have any, yeah. any problem with that. Like those guys, they're, they're not going to go into the neighborhood pub and, you know, and, and undercut some pro band by $107 and have the new owner who's been in the country 14 minutes go, that's a better deal. Yeah, because it is the bottom line, unfortunately. I mean, that's it's the, tough out there, man. It's the world we live in. It's tough out there. Yeah, but, but you, you know, you've been, so you, you live in Winnipeg. Yep. You play in the bands in the Air Force. Is that well, the I, entertainment I, part of it? or? Nah, well, I'm in the Air Force. Yeah. Uh, but, um, Basically, when you go in the Canadian Armed Forces as a musician, you could end up in any of the elements. Mm -hmm. You could end up in the wherever they need you. Mm -hmm. But because I play guitar, and I think the Air Force was the most forward-thinking of the elements that they decided to send me out to Winnipeg, uh, because we were going to not only have that traditional stuff that a military band would do, you know, the marching yeah. and the, the ceremonial stuff and all that. But we were going to try to have, you know, rock bands and show bands and all that stuff, jazz groups. And we did. So I got sent out there and, uh, and it's been, it's been a trip, man. It's been, it's been a real, again, I felt kind of like a pioneer out there because it was such a new thing for the military musicians. I think, you know, there was always people, those bands are basically recruited um, from people from say like a, a classical music background and uh, you know, not my area of expertise, but say they, you know, went to McGill and then they got their masters and blah, blah, blah. And they didn't get the fucking call to be in the symphony in Toronto. And they failed the one for Philadelphia. And they're going, I guess I could join the military <laughs> or, or they're in the reserve bands, you know, through school, yeah. you know, cause that's a nice way to go. Or they're in the ceremonial guard in Ottawa and they march around all summer long. So like little, little make, work projects for classical musicians and that's been their domain for decades and decades and decades and i knew very little about it so when it became a, a thing where they were going to have something with a more contemporary kind of feel um i was interested because you know i like to play all different kinds of music a and i've always sort of been interested in the military aspect of it too so, you know my old man was in that for a long 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 time and probably the, you know the only other thing i would have even considered doing um would be a, a military career, but I wanted to play music so bad. Obviously I went so far as you could go the other way. <laughs> so like the old man says, it just took them 30 or 40 years to come around to my way of thinking <laughs> and off I went. That's so awesome. it was, it was good. And, and, and it, and it still is. And I've enjoyed every minute of it. We've been all over the place doing that stuff. It's good times. Yeah. And it sort of encompasses like your, I mean, it's, 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 I'm trying to put the words together, but it sort of encompasses who you are. Without a doubt. You know, it's, it's a perfect fit. Yeah. Yeah. My, my main regret um, having experienced that, and, and not everything is perfect all the time, but there's been so much good times, so many uh, wonderful things have happened, so much great music's been played, so many just felt like you were doing something worthwhile, you know? Mm -hmm. um, 
is uh, is that I didn't have more time. You know, I'm just a little bit long in the tooth. So, uh, you know, I'll have to bow out. I'm already, you know, the oldest guy there by decades. Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird. <laughs> Doesn't matter. No, no. Doesn't matter. No, I've enjoyed every minute of it. It's yeah. been a lot of fun for me. And yeah. I, I just finished up, not just me, but... Uh, me and some of my uh, my pals out there have just finished up uh, our second album that we've done for the Air Force, and uh, it's it's going to turn a few heads when that one comes out. There's about a half of it is is rock songs I wrote, and half of it is some of my favorite covers. Oh wow! Yes, from the '70s and '80s. So uh, I'm can't wait till that's mixed up and people hear this sucker because it's heavy <laughs> duty, man. That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. So that it, it, it it's it's sort of like a an audio document of my time there. Okay. Which is very cool, you yeah, know? And yeah. I'm very proud of it. And there's there really are some killer musicians in that program. Oh, absolutely. Um, unbelievable, yeah. right? Really? You know? Yeah. I mean they they didn't come through the way I did. They certainly weren't they weren't taking a you know, taking a van to uh to Montreal or something. You know oh. what I mean? They didn't do that. Yeah. But uh, you know, I've gone in there and, and definitely weaseled the rock out of them. Well, because you know they didn't grow up under a rock. They know what this is. Totally, totally. If I go to the drummer, I go, "What do you think of Stuart Copeland, mm-hmm. the police guy?" You know, how can you not be excited about that? Or Neil Peart, how could you not be excited about John Bonham? How could you not be excited about that? If you're not, and you play Kit, or Tony Williams, man, yeah. you know what I mean? Jack DeJohnette. If you're not excited by these artists, the artists that I've loved, then there's something wrong with you. Yeah, you know, and it's not the case. And they know that stuff too. They just didn't have always the opportunity to play it. Yeah. through their educational times and, and certainly through the military times in the last decade they have. So it's been well, cool. It's interesting meeting people who weren't born when the police were the police oh, or I, when Rush yeah. were actual, were actual Rush. I work, I work with, we, we did a, we did an 18 piece big band cover of Tom Sawyer wow. by Rush. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. A couple years back. Yeah. And we don't sell that stuff. We just, we just hand it out. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just, we're not in it for the, we're not in for the money. We're in it for the glory, baby. Yeah, yeah. So have you but, done any deployments? Have you had to go out and play in Afghanistan? I've or? been to Afghanistan. I've been to Kuwait. I've played in South Korea. I've been up to Alert up in the Arctic there near the near the near uh, where Santa lives, which is so mm. fitting for this uh, <laughs> yeah. this time period. Best of time. So, you know, yeah, man. I've been to uh, Latvia twice. I've been to Greece. Mm-hmm. Always, all, all to play for our guys. Yeah. Absolutely. So in, and in, it must in, be rewarding. Because, I love it. Yeah. I mean, the first time I went, when I went to Afghanistan, it was, um, I think, March of 2011. So I, I wasn't even a year in. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there I was, hopping over there, you know. In, you don't jump on an Air Canada flight, too, don't you? Oh, no. <laughs> no, definitely not. I, I've traveled so much on Hercules, on C-170s, yeah, yeah. it's not even funny. Yeah. I think... Uh, uh, with with the overseas flights, so it's always been on Airbus. Yeah. So you know it's it's similar to, yeah. you know we we have we have that capability in the Air Force too. There was a opportunity to go to Afghanistan for me about fifteen years ago. Yep. It didn't go, but the guy that did go took video of the Hercules taking off. Yeah. And it does this left right swoop thing yeah. just to avoid the bullets. Right. It's so strategic. And you but... see, the Americans don't do that. They just they just take off. <laughs> That's what they said. Well, the the, the landing part in in uh, in. In CAF was the big one for me. Yeah. In Kandahar, the landing. Oh, what do they call that again? It, it's a, I guess it's just an operational landing. But they come over there, they turn the lights out, then they just beeline it because yeah. everybody's shooting at them from different points, right? <laughs> so I didn't know what to expect. I was happy and proud to go, and um, yeah, you know, I feel I feel lucky to have had those experiences. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have to appreciate people that 
they they are in situations that I couldn't even fathom. That's right. And the reason you're in these situations is so I don't have to be. That's right. So therefore, you have to take whether you whether you agree or disagree. You got nothing to, to do with it. It comes down to the person level. The person yes. is sitting there in a hole fighting people who hate them. That's it. And that's sort of a like whatever. Know. I'm not a politician, man. Yeah. That's not why I'm there. Yeah. I'm there first of all for the gig. But you know, I've always had that feeling about the military, and 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 I've seen the good it can do. Mm-hmm. It's not all. You know, it's not all what people think it is. It's not all. It's not mm-hmm. all combat, man. It's yeah. just not. You know, no, absolutely. So uh, I, the way I feel about it is, uh, I think about those young people over there that are put in harm's way, that have agreed to go by their own, mm-hmm. their own volunteering, to represent this country and fight hard and do whatever is asked of them, including up to and including death. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to go entertain those guys. So that was that was always my focus when I joined this. Mm-hmm. And uh, the greatest the greatest pleasures that I've had in the last decade are going to play for those those people I mean, without a doubt. No matter and yeah. on any of the places I've been to, yeah. to to play to service people that are wearing a Canadian uniform. What are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. better it's better than better than touring with Maiden, man. I bet for me. Yeah, not for everybody, but yeah. it's definitely for me. Well, that's good. Well, I'm glad you know. I'm glad we had this opportunity to sit down and talk because a lot uh, of fun. I've been trying to do this for three years. Now. <laughs> I think there's one time I, I I sent. I was coming to Winnipeg, right? And I was on a on a summer show with a with a band I was working for, and I don't. It didn't quite work out. It's funny. The last text in was from that exchange. There like, you go. I'm landing at nine o'clock. I'm at this hotel. Let's hang out. And, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. What yeah. I mean, but well, I'm, set it up again. Uh, yeah. Things are better now. Yeah, I'm really the, glad it worked out. I know? went through. Uh, there's been a lot of periods of time. I mean, the the interesting thing about the job I do is the people that run, say, the Air Force, they're always moving up, yeah. right? So, so like, you know, when I got there, say a guy was like, he was a major when I got there. And then we started to develop our band and our sound and our our our, uh, our plan, you know what mm-hmm. I mean, to, to have these rock bands and, and stuff. And then, you know, within a couple of years, maybe he's gone up to Colonel yeah. and maybe one of his buddies is now running that base. Yeah. And then a couple of years later, now he's a brigadier general and this is how it's been. Mm-hmm. So after you've been there for 10 years, you know, you make a lot of friends and fans and people believe in what you're doing and, and you get that kind of support and you really feel like you're part of the team. Yeah. It's a great thing, man. Yeah. Well, I'm, yeah, it's a that's... great, great, great thing. It's like a record company with guns. <laughs> that's a good way to end it. It is. Thanks, man. I Cheers, buddy. It. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And that was Mr. Michael Hall. And uh, thanks, Michael, for doing the show. It's good times. Good to see you again. We realized we hadn't seen each other for a very, very long time. I was originally going to hit him up when I went out there with the Small Town Pistols when we opened up for Walk Off the Earth and Zach Brown Band. That was like three years ago, two or three years ago. And uh, just didn't click. So now here we are. Three years later, and uh, episode number 214 comes to fruition. All right. All right. Who else wants to be on the show? Anybody else want to be on the show? All right, well, get, get in touch. I feel like I'm talking to you. Yeah, you know how to do it. Applelog.ca slash contact. Give me a call. Give me an email. Do something. Get on it. Thanks, everybody, for shopping on Amazon. Amazon is a very, very helpful tool for you to shop with. I, I like it. It's good to do. I buy stuff all the time on Amazon. And you, too, can help the show out by going to Applelog.ca slash Amazon, and you can support the show. It's very helpful. Very, very helpful. Thank you so much. And thanks to everybody for uh, supporting me on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash if you want to help that out. Right. Okay. So we got a new week coming up. I got a few episodes ready to go. And uh, have a great week. Have a great weekend. We'll see you again next week. Okay. Bye.